Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WCWA Network. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, California Infuriate. It's a joy to be with you all again. And speaking of a joy, right here, right now, I get to speak to a guy that I've actually known for about 17 years. But the thing is, I've never really had a chance to sit down and have like a proper conversation about his journey in professional wrestling. Uh so, ladies and gentlemen, without any further ado, allow me to introduce right now former EPW Tag Team Champion Invitational winner. He is the one. He is the only. He's Mr. Devlin Reeves. How are you, bro? Wow, what an intro. I'm doing really well, Carl. Uh, life is good. I've got nothing to complain about. How are you? Yeah, doing pretty good, bro. Doing very good indeed. And it's it's really exciting for me to, to talk to you about your time in pro wrestling because uh, from what I recall... You actually grew up in my neck of the woods, uh, Ocean Reef. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. So that's why I'm so interested because I wanted to see like how your journey began, especially with your fandom of pro wrestling, um, because it started for me in 1998. Um, For you, how did you become a wrestling fan before you even got involved in in the local wrestling business? So for me, it was... was I think it was a Saturday and uh, I was taken to sort of like a family friend's house for the day and we got stuck in front of the television. I must have been eight, nine, ten around that age. Um, and Hulk, they had a clip of Hulk Hogan and Warrior. And I think it was I think it was a WrestleMania match on uh, television. And the moment I saw that, it just sucked me in, drew me in. It was like nothing I'd ever seen and I just couldn't get enough um that's probably my earliest memory um from there it was you know going to the local video store uh seven weeklies for seven bucks um <laughs> uh you know uh you know i lived in ocean reef you know where that is and you know i would you know take the risk and ride all the way to Malu, uh neighboring neighboring suburb because they were the ones that had the wrestling dv uh, vi- uh videotapes at that time um and uh but you know it was there was this handful of videos from the late 80s and very early 90s, and that was it. So there was a little bit of a lull for a few years. Um, would continue just going back and cycling through and renting the same videos over and over. Um, and then uh, one night, I reckon I would have I would have probably been in year, in year eight, and we just got uh, Foxtel uh, for the first time. And I stumbled across... Uh, TNT, I was channel flicking on a Friday and seen, uh, I seen WCW and seen a couple of guys. I was like, man, that's like, that's the Macho Man. And that's, that's Lex Luger. And I was like, oh, like wrestling is still around. And oh, it's got a new name now, I assumed. And then I like, I looked, I was like, this was when like, after Hogan had done his heel turn. And I was like, is that surely? And I was like, oh my. God, that's Hulk Hogan. Like, and I just had this like craziness of, you know, on a Friday night, um, now like wrestling was back. Um, come to find out that, you know, that was WCW, um, WWE was still going. I think, I think they were over on Fox Sport at that's at, at uh at that stage. And um for two years, I watched Nitro on TNT on a Friday night. I recorded it with my VHS tape i paused out the ads uh, i went to that extent labeled all the tapes 
Um, I think I had two, two and a half years worth of nitros back to back without missing one. And maybe it was about, maybe it was only about five years ago, all the tape from the garage. I just didn't have the heart. I was like, I put so much effort into all this and I didn't have the heart to throw it out. But, you know, the whole library's available. Um, I think I've got it on a hard drive. Um, you know, although, you know, you can get it on the network. It, it's just, you know, I had to, had to let it go. But, you know, that's how kind of it all started. Brilliant. I was just so interested because, you know, growing up from the, the, the same area, a couple of years older than me, but still, uh, you know, and you became a fan prior to, to when I did. Uh, I just thought uh, there's a charm to being a fan yeah. back in those days, because I don't know if if you remember moments like this, especially in the late 90s, but you might be going to that local chicken treat there in Ocean Reef and <laughs> you might be standing in line to get a small chips and the two guys in front of you will be wearing an NWO shirt, an Austin 316 shirt. You don't even know who they are. And they're talking about what happened on Nitro or Raw the other day. Uh, th these things seldom happen uh, anymore, especially for me. Um, but there was a charm to it, you know. You go to the local news agent, you, you'd look at the magazines, um, you, you'd have sleepovers with your friends, and you'd you'd hire out the video games, you know, WWF Warzone or Attitude, the most frustrating games to ever play, <laughs> uh, and, and things of that nature. So I was really intrigued and and. And also wanted to ask you, you know, okay, um, you, you're big into the wrestling, you're taping it all the time, you're even cutting out the advertisements. Uh, are your friends fans of pro wrestling as well? Do you, you know, do, is it is it something that you do by yourself? Because there's a short period of time where wrestling was really, really cool and you saw yeah. those NWA shirts everywhere. Yeah. Um, so for me, yeah, look, for me, uh, short answer is no. So I had one, I had one friend who was wrestling mad. And at that time, it wasn't cool. Um, we we're in very early high school. We must have been year eight, I think. Um, and it wasn't cool. And no one was talking about it um, at my school anyway. And um, and like we used to get in trouble from the teacher um, or teachers because we would just spend so much. The classes that we had together, we just talk about Nitro Raw or whatever. And the teacher would like come over and be like, if I hear one more thing about wrestling from either of you two, like, you know, we'd get that kind of jazz. And um, around that same period, like it kind of started, uh, probably a couple of years later, it probably started getting real hot. Um, and, or it felt that way anyway. Um, man, I, I just, and it just came to me now, I just had a memory of, um, you know, the first, I got an NWO shirt. And it was, I don't know if you remember this, but they had ones that were like make a choice. It was half. Oh, the half and half. I've got half, that. half. You know, they started with the black and white, then the red, then the make a choice. And, um, you know, this is, I guess internet might have just been breaking around, but this is, you know, pre all that, all that stuff. So, um, you know, you had to watch it on TV to find out what was going on. Um, and we uh stumbled across these shirts uh, do you remember granny mays i don't know if that shop still exists oh of course granny mays had all but the they shirts. were the first ones in town to have like stone gold shirts nwo shirts all that sort of stuff and so that's where that's where we went and got them and for a very very short period of time it at least felt anyway that you know we're the only ones walking around in wrestling t-shirts <laughs> <laughs> awesome stuff right yes i had that same shirt that make a choice shirt yeah i still got it in my cupboard but the the neck is so loose it kind of looks like uh 
like a foreskin or something like that. It does not look good at all. So I don't wear it anymore because it just doesn't look right. Um, but um, yes, that's great to hear. So I, I love hearing that kind of thing um, because, it, again, there was just such a short period of time where it was cool. Mm -hmm. And then when I got to high school, you kept it quiet because if anyone found out, you'd be in big trouble. Yeah. Um, I remember me and my friends in, I think, uh, late grade nine, we started like a backyard thing. And I was in charge of it with a friend of mine, but my friend wanted to make sure he didn't get picked on as much as me. So he said he only had 25% ownership and I had 75%. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, okay, so, okay, you're growing up in Ocean Reef. This is the northern suburbs. It's England yeah. by the sea, as many people say. Mm -hmm. um, at some point in time, there is local pro wrestling that pops up. Uh, it, it's under the name of, of ECW Perth, uh, ex, uh, Explosive Coastal Wrestling, um, uh, before it became Explosive Pro Wrestling. Um, how did you end up becoming aware of there being local pro wrestling? So I, um, I uh, once I, I left school early, I left at the end of the year 10, took up a trade. And um, uh, fairly soon after that, I ended up, um, my housemate uh, uh, that I moved in with was that same friend that was the wrestling um, wrestling man, just like me. And he was also doing another trade. Um, and he came home one day and said, hey, I've just seen this. Like, it's either a notice or a flyer or something like that um, at TAFE, um, at his TAFE. So I looked into it and I was like, we were freaking out because we were like, you know what, if we're ever, ever going to have a crack at this, like, you're going to have to go overseas, you're going to have to like work, save up money. Um, not even really thinking about it. it's probably something over east or something like that. But it was just this like, oh my God moment. And I think the um I think the flyer was for a show. I think it was collision course in oh, 2002, maybe. Um and uh again, this was kind of like I think early days of sort of internet. And um, so we sort of like, you know put our little dial-up modem in while it made weird fax noises um, <laughs> to try and have a look at what was around. Um, and they had something about a contact number and a a tryout or a training camp um, coming up. So we were like, oh, man, this is it. So we're like, I was like, look, I'll make I'll make a call, um, figure out what the go is. Um, we'll go to this show. Um and what ended up happening was that was the, you know, I made a phone call and said, hey, what's the go? And got a little bit of an explanation about a bit of a triumph. We've got a show coming up and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Why didn't come in and just have a chat to us? So we, we went into the factory in Maddington at that time. And um, it was Dave, um, David Storm that sat down with us. And um, it was the first time I met him. And, and he said, hey, look, um, I looked over the ring and there's a few guys in the ring I can remember uh chris bell scar who's um one of our production guys he was in the ring training um Anna Nothica was training brad west was training um and they were just kind of like having a casual chat while i were doing some breakfalls and stuff and i was like oh well like validation obviously it doesn't hurt because you can't do that and just have this you know casual chat <laughs> um so I was, I was really intrigued at that and um dave dave sort of explained that hey there's this thing coming up um it's a two-day thing. We've got a show right beforehand. Might be a good idea. Come along to the show. Just kind of see what it's about and all that sort of stuff. Because um, that, at that point, I'd probably only seen, I'd seen very little live wrestling. What do we have here before then? We had 
Superstars, oh, yeah. um, which I think was the Kurt Hennig one, um, yeah. Mr. Perfect. Yeah. Um, I think we had WWA. Um, that would have been which, pretty early on, yeah, like a yeah, two. yeah, yeah, and like like maybe there was like another one, but but um, you know WWE WWE hadn't come to town, and before big time wrestling came, or when it came before that, I think I was too young, uh, like years before that, and um, so I, so like I had an expectation of like oh look, that was pretty cool what I went to, and you know in hindsight it was most of it was pretty ordinary, um, so I was expecting this to be of a much lower level. And I, I, I had that legit thought of, you know what, we'll watch the, we'll watch the shitty show, we will come in and do some power bombs, and then we'll be on the next show. Like pretty simple stuff. Um, <laughs> had it all worked out, you know. So I went to that show and um, like was blown away at the time. Um, don't know if it would hold up now, but just like live wrestling right up close in in front of your face. And um, just kind of like nonstop action. It was, I was just, I was actually blown away by it and um, and was like, oh, wow, this is way better than, you know, the big time stuff. Um, so, yeah, for me, I then went on, I thought, oh, this is going to be a dream. And I, I think it was maybe the following week or maybe a week after that uh, was the training camp. So, you know, in all my wisdom, I was like, it's obviously pretty easy no need to exercise, train, get ready because, you know, what do you need any of that stuff? Um, it's all fake anyway. Um, boy, did I have the shock of my life. <laughs> so uh, please tell me a little bit about the training camp, those early days training uh, at then oh, known as the Dynamite Factory. When you took that first bump, did you tuck your chin? <laughs> I got, I'll tell you what, there's, there's a couple of things to this. So it was brutal for a start. And I, I got so messed up. And when I, you know, when I thought about it years later, it was probably one of the easier camps. It actually, as they went on, they actually got much harder um, and uh, much more structured. But, you know, I um, my memories of that camp was just head rattle after head rattle. Um, I was I was like really out of shit. Like I was probably 105 kilos hadn't done any sort of physical exercise or sport in years. Um, and, you know, so we started with a little bit of cardio and then went into, basically went into break falling, um, which, you know, the ring at the time that they had as well was a kickboxing ring. So it was a kickboxing ring with, and they put some mats underneath. Obviously with a, a wrestling ring, you've got, you know, it's bad enough with a wrestling ring. You've got the steel bars, you've got the boards, you've got a little bit of matting uh, and the canvas, and there's, a, you know, usually a spring somewhere that just helps with a little bit of that impact. With a kickboxing ring, they have everything except for the spring, but they then have metal poles that are, you know, placed underneath the ring to stop it from bouncing whatsoever. Um, so there was that. There was They had cable ropes, and I hate, you know, I mean, it's all over new, but cable ropes are really difficult to um, run and work with, and and uh, really can can just you know mess you up. Um, but you know, I I I remember at the end of that first day, like, I mean, everyone there must have been concussed and just a mess. But on that on that way home on that first day, I went straight to the chemist and got like Nurofen, Panadol, whatever it was at the time, um, and I got home. I took like as many as I could and I laid on the couch and I had an ice pack 
like one on each leg and like an ice pack here and like, you know, like a bag of peas here, like just try to um, stop just absolutely um, being in pain. And the thought that went through my mind is like, I can't go back. Well, I can't, I can't go, like, I can't, well, I'm not going to be able to go back. Like, I'm going to die. Um, and um, I was like, you know, at the end of the day, if it wasn't for my mate, because he was probably thinking the same thing, but didn't want to like, didn't want to say it out loud, neither did I. I probably would have gone, wouldn't gone back that um, second day. Uh, but that was, it. Was, yeah, it was tough. And it's just, it's such a shock to the system. Um, but the, the thing that I thought, I was like, man, I like this so much and have always thought about this and want to give it a go. How can I, you know, how can I give up after one, one day? Like, surely, like, you know, um yeah you, you like something that much you're not going to just be like ah oh, oh well um so yeah just kind of had to uh push through um i'll tell you another actual story about about that training camp so i was an apprentice butcher at the time and this is way back when right and essentially this training camp was on a saturday uh, and a sunday and my roster was tuesday to saturday and as, and basically the unwritten rule was if you call in sick on a Saturday, you get sacked. Like there is absolutely, uh, you know, you cannot do it. Um, and so I was like, man, I'm going to this camp. I can't ring. I can't ring in sick. If I uh, ask for the day off and they say no, which they probably are, then I I really can't go, and I'd probably lose my job if I just said, hey, I'm not coming. So I heard someone tell me about something called Ipecac. Have you heard of Ipecac? No. So what Ipecac is, is um, don't condone this, don't try this at home, foolish, foolish thing, sidebar. Um, it's uh, something you can get and it induces vomiting. And I think the oh. idea behind it is if like if kids, like if your kids at home accidentally drink, like, drink poison or chemicals or something like that you, and you need to induce vomiting, you give them that, they throw it back up, they're okay. So um, I make sure before I go to, to Smogo in the morning, that I wheel out some empty bins in the production room, make sure that, you know, um, that I time my breaks, that when I get back, the whole crew is in the room working and I go off, get a pie, sausage roll, something like that, eat a couple of things, go and get this Ibicac, um, you know, go to the toilet, drink it, and then waltz in back to, waltz in back to the um, factory. And um, and I'm like, oh, you know, my geez, I, you know, I don't know what to expect here, feel completely fine. So I, um, I, I then all of a sudden I'm like, ooh, I can kind of feel something in my stomach. And then I was like, oh man, oh, I'm, I think, you know, when you're like, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to, and I made sure that in front of everyone with big green, empty, like Sulu bins, I power spewed in front of everyone. So that it was like <laughs> slopping on the bottom. There's no faking, you know, no faking that. And I was like, oh, you know what? Everyone will believe that, you know, I'm obviously sick or there's something wrong. So I do that and I'm like, oh, that's not too bad. Then I'm like, oh, and then I'm like, oh, like, oh, I hope this, oh, and then I'm like, oh, no, oh, God, what have I done? <laughs> then I was like, I got to a point where I was like, oh, no more. I can't take any more, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, like, they're like, oh, you know, go and go to the sick bay if you and see how you're feeling and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, you go to the sick bay, lay down for half an hour. By then, I feel one hundred percent totally fine, and I'm, you know, they're like, "Oh, here's some, have some lemonade, and you know that you need some sugar." And then I'm like, "Yeah, okay, no worries." 
said, I'm like, look, I can't do it. Not feeling great. Putting on this whole big act. And, uh, you know, like limp out of the of the shop and like, like you know, oh, and it was, to me, in my mind, it was like one of those scenes that as soon as I was in the clear, I was sort of like, oh, yeah, and just <laughs> went, rang in sick the next morning. Obviously, I had thrown up and everything, got got back to work on Monday, and they were like, you weren't, you weren't fucking sick. You made that bullshit up. Like, didn't believe me. Like, <laughs> thought I would have been good enough to come into work on Saturday, but I literally took vomit-inducing uh, medicine to be able to be able to uh, attend uh, the EPW uh, training camps. So there you go. <laughs> Talk about paying your dues. Yeah, there That's you go. Really, really cool. And I also found it quite funny that uh, your first day in the business and you're already popping the pain pills, brother. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so before we get to January eighteenth, two thousand and three, for your debut. Uh, at the ninth ECW Perth show against Brock Freeman at ECW, the mark has been made. That's what my research tells me. You've done some research. I have. Um, there's I don't even people... remember the actual date. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I'm, I'm excited to bring up some other things as well then. Um, but one thing I did want to bring up, because uh, in my time as a fan of professional wrestling here in Perth, there has been one character and one character only that has been my favorite character <laughs> out of everything. Okay. I don't care. Not, not, not Chris Vice, not, not anyone in the solution. No, no, no. I'm talking about the one and only playboy Devlin Reeves, <sighs> my favorite character. My dad took me to see a show where you portrayed playboy Devlin Reeves. My dad does not like wrestling. My dad was in tears of laughter over your portrayal of this character. <laughs> Is this like Mick Foley being dude love because he always wanted to be a bit of a Lothario? Like, how did you decide that I'm going to be Playboy Devlin Reeves? Well, truth be told, I I kind of didn't. So the character that I had in my mind was more so of the one that came a few years later. I, In my mind, I was like, I'm going to have this badass music. I'm going to beat the shit out of people. I'm going to be, you know, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. And uh, that reawakening... The reawakening before the show before that, uh, the Sunday afterwards, um, I was at training, setting up the ring, um, and had a bit of a light training session uh, with David Storm. He was Booker at the time and uh, main guy, main man. And he said it to me then. He said, "Hey, uh, so done a bit of training, just set the ring up. Uh, how about a match at the next show?" And I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, what? Like, couldn't believe it. Because um, at the same time um, in our camp, there was, you know, uh, Shane Haste, um, Kyle uh, Steria, uh, Bobby Marshall, Chris J. Lazarus. Like, there were these, like, you know, these guys that came in, same camp as me, exact same time, that could, you know, do backflips upon backflips and bounce around the ring and just do this insane stuff. Um, and yeah. And I got asked first. Um, um, that was, yeah, that was, it was such an awesome moment. And, you know, I really struggled in training, like really struggled. I was the last guy to get anything. What took people one or two sessions literally took me four sessions and three months to nail the most simple things and uh, the comment that I heard after the fact was, oh, man, like, you know, oh, 
that's that's a shame. Such a nice guy. Oh. Like, what a shame. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it was a case of that. Can't let this thing. Wanted this my whole life. Just have to get going. Like, can't let this thing beat me. Like, um. So yeah, the. Uh, so yeah, I got, I got asked then. It was it was uh, awesome, and I was like, cool. So well, like, what's the go? What's the sort of character stuff? And you know, Dave's like, what are you thinking? And um, I was like, oh, you know, maybe this is this kind of thing. And he was like, hmm, hmm, okay. And I was like, well, what are you thinking? And he's like, how do you feel about CNC Music Factory? Everybody dance now. And I'm like, <laughs> what, wait, what? I'm like, is that the song that I think it is? And he's like, mm-hmm. And um. You know, it it was essentially his idea. He's like, want the complete opposite of what you're thinking. So, like, <laughs> initially, I was fucking devastated. I was like, this sucks. Like, I hate this. Like, I don't want to do this. Um, initially, I'm like, how embarrassing. Um, and, you know, very immature, very childish. And um, I was like, well, you know what? All I ever wanted... Um, all I ever wanted was just to be able to have a match. That's it. That's the only goal I, I'd ever set. I've set two goals. One was to have a match and one was to have a main event match. That's it. Um, anything else would be a bonus. Um, so I was like, you know what? You've wanted this. It's all you've ever wanted. You've got the opportunity. You can't. You just have to, you know, give it your best shot and do what you do. Um, so, yeah, like um, thinking about coming up with a name I had, help uh that with uh the the main person i think would have been tyler jacobs evan carnage that helped put that together um clothes back then like no one there was no wrestling clothes there was no nowhere to get that stuff from so um i think like i had to talk to dave and a few other people and go to like these like rave shops and stuff just to find like kind of different clothes because I, I looked at the roster and i was like cool so everyone's wearing cut off jeans and everyone's wearing black t-shirts and everyone's wearing black. So I was like, cool, what's, you know, what is nobody wearing? And I was like, cool, no one's wearing, you know, or very few are wearing these sorts of pants. Very few are wearing white or lighter um, and all that sort of stuff. So just kind of like built up bits and pieces uh, over time, um, uh, heading into that first match and, and you know, had Brock Freeman carry me all the way through from way to go. <laughs> Excellent. So please uh expand on that for me. How how were you feeling if you can recall just before you walked through the curtain all this time you've you've spent trying to get there, the dream's about to come true. You're about to walk through that curtain and have that first match. Tell me a little bit about it. Oh man, sleepless nights, a couple of sleepless nights, especially the one right before. Just totally nerve-wracked, stressed. Uh that feeling where you uh, you know, constantly need to piss, but then you go and piss, you can't actually piss. Like <laughs> this horrible, horrible feeling that the moments right before just, I was kind of like zoned out. It's almost like you can kind of, like you're at an out-of-body experience where you can kind of see what's going on. It was kind of like that. And, you know, I just thought about how can I say I can't do this or I'm not going ahead or, or like all that stuff. And then, you just get all that self-doubt going, I shouldn't be here. It should be one of the other guys. Um, uh, you know, I, what if I forget things? Like, you just, just complete freak out. Um, and, you know, just by the skin of my teeth, held it together to walk out the curtain for the first time. 
Um, because back then there wasn't a slow intro. Like now we've got showcase shows, you know, people can get introduced as managers um uh, and like ease themselves into into this thing. You know, back then that was all that there was. You train and then you become a character and go on a show. Um so I, you know, I went from that feeling to music started playing. And as it started playing, I was like, this is the worst, this is the worst music. I was like, oh my. And I could hear people kind of like laughing and stuff and like just wondering, like, what the hell is this? Like, what's going on? Um, and, um, you know, from that, I was like, well, got to do it now. And just that moment of walking out after one or two seconds, I felt like Superman. I felt absolutely invincible. I didn't feel embarrassed. And I was just like, well, you got to, now I got to turn it up. Like all the things that I was like, didn't feel good about doing, I was like, just turn it up, like go as hard as I can. And kind of the harder and the more outrageous, uh, even from that first match I went, I was listening and I was like, oh, that's like people are making lots of noise that, crazier than it is and surely from a booker's point of view when they hear lots of noise from someone then they're going to be interested in booking them again or keeping them involved um but you know it a lot of it was a lot of it was a blur back then you know that match would have practiced you know 200 times move for move step for step over and over and over and over and over every little detail um I remember I, I would have done it with uh, Brock, but um, poor old Brad West, um, uh, one of my absolute dearest friends uh, to that to this day. But you know he would come down and I he I he would wrestle as Brock and and help me train to uh, <laughs> he'd play the part of Brock just hours on end over and over and over and over to try for me to try and get this match in my head. Um, but yeah, the the. The match itself, it was it felt like time stood still. Like it's a weird, you'd know it as you know, with your bits and pieces of performing, it felt like time stood still. And I got backstage, got some like pats on the back and all that sort of stuff. Well done, congratulations, all that sort of stuff. And uh, I think it was Dave that asked me. He was like, "How'd it go?" And I said, "I have no fucking idea. I don't know what just happened, but I, I want to go back out there again right now." And he just looked at me, laughed, and said, "Ah." Uh, well done, we'll watch it back tomorrow and, you know, we'll go from there. But, you know, congratulations, you deserve it, blah, 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 all that sort of stuff. Um, so, yeah, it was a it was a really, really, really cool and, and awesome moment for me at the time. Awesome, bro. Love it. Love all that information. So interesting. I, I always love asking people about the first time because there's, there's always a memory there. Um, and it's so meaningful as well at the same time as being scary. Um those early days, you know, that that building at the Wanneroo Showgrounds, that's is, is, is a, such a great atmosphere in that. Yeah. Um, can you just, I don't know, just talk to me a little bit about how, how it felt performing in that place. I asked Dave about this and I don't know, as a fan, I've seen EPW in several different uh, locations, but for whatever reason, that atmosphere, I just, I've never felt that at a wrestling show before and, and since, and I've been to many other different wrestling shows. Um, you know, looking back, you know, how, how special of a time was that? Uh, it was, it was a really special time. Like um, I was obviously new, new in, I mean, EBW in the scheme of things was, was fairly new anyway, but you know, EBW was finding their feet. 
Um, it was wrestling was, uh, you know, really becoming popular. Um, there was a couple of really great storylines that carried, um, you know, throughout the whole year. I thought they had the right mix of short-term, medium and long-term storylines to make the shows really uh, uh, exciting. And, you know, because you say it now and, and I look at it and I go, okay, it had no heating or no air conditioning. It was dirty. It was dusty. It was a tin shed and it was in the middle of nowhere. Like that does not sound like a good wrestling venue when you <laughs> say for what it is, but I don't know if it was just, you know, something to do with that time, you know, like that, that time in wrestling where wrestling was hot and, you know, you look fondly on your sort of younger years of, of all that. But, it, you know, I agree with you. It felt like, you know, we just had this real build of uh, momentum Um and it was in that building. And maybe it's maybe it's the case as well that, you know, when you have, you always have these periods of like momentum and kind of building and a little bit of falling away and all that sort of stuff. That was the very first one. And you can only have the first one once. Like, and, you know, I wonder if maybe that has something to do with it. But you're right, man. It was, it was such a great venue. Um, I think the acoustics in there were really good um possibly the lighting too it was a bit darker on the crowd which um you know usually we think maybe um lets people be a little more vocal they don't feel as embarrassed about sort of like yelling out and being a bit more crazy and you get 500 people doing that and it's just it's just mayhem but but yeah uh, like such a special time such a special time and um absolute absolute fond memories for me Yes, me too. It was just fantastic. And uh, as things start to evolve a little bit uh, for you, I want to know about like kind of the creative process behind the scenes in that 2003-2004 era, because I wanted to know like how you felt about the character change and teaming with Jamie Dura and FN Carnage in the Brat Pack, which is another one of my favourite things in local pro wrestling. Um, so like how did that all come about and how did you feel about it? So like just a step before that. So the whole Playboy gimmick and all that sort of stuff, it went from me like hating it to going, okay, this is fine. You've got to do your best. And the thought that I had was I like for me, I always felt that I wasn't as physically capable as all of, you know, as a lot of the people around me. So I was like, I have to offer something different. So if these guys are going to be super athletic and do flips and all this kind of stuff, I have to go hardcore into character. I have to try and look like no one else on the show um, and try and act like no one else on the show. And with the, the Playboy stuff, I looked at the show as a whole and Psycho Fat was a guy who was doing a bit of comedy stuff and he was so over. He was one of the most over guys and he was nowhere near the main event. So I was like, wait a minute, who's he got to... Like, who's his opposite? And I'm like, there is no opposite. So I was like, I'm going to become your opposite. So, like, I'll be the, I'll try and do the comedy heel thing. And we kind of looked around and, like, there wasn't really comedy in wrestling, um, at least not in EBW. Um, and so I gravitated towards him straight away. Um, we talked and, um, and sort of, uh, I, I don't know if bookers came to us or we pitched to them or the idea, I can't quite remember, but um, very quickly had a, a match with him and um, just did something different. I think we were the first to just do like a little bit of a special entrance. Um, so again, I looked and was like, you know, what, what can we do? 
And I think Undertaker was Undertaker was big at the time, and he um he had um you know that biker entrance stuff, and everyone <laughs> yeah. knew that that was the deal. So I was like at home, but my you know my brother when he was seven years old got a fifty cc little motorbike, and it still works to this day. And I was like, what if I come out on a motorbike like, and with a character like, uh you know, I think Rick chose the music, and he's like, oh you got to you know you can't just we can't use Undertaker's music, but he's like, what about something like Bad to the Bone? I'm like, yeah, cool, no worries. <laughs> um, so Bad to the Bone starts playing, and here I go on this, like, I come out, and, like, you can hear a motorbike revving and in the back, and people are probably like, what, like, what the fuck? Like, what is that? Um, and here I come out on, a like, a little peewee um, 50 around the ring, and I looked up at Ferg, and he was furious looking at the ring because everyone was, like, clapping, laughing, cheering, all the rest of it. Because um, it was, it just looked so ridiculous. Um, <laughs> and Ferg was like, he was so mad. He was like, I'm the fucking baby face. Like, and here I just had a normal shitty entrance. Um, <laughs> we laugh about it. Um, we had a laugh about it, you know, a, a few months ago to this day. Um, and, and yeah, like we had this one match and um, like straight away, they're like, oh, there is, this has massive legs. Um, so they kind of put us together for the rest of the year. That kind of culminated at the re at re um of that year. It was the same year as the EBW Street Fight, which was massive. Um, and we got put into a softball match. So, um, you know, I'd never heard of it at the time. And, you know, the premise got explained that, you know, it's you guys are comedy guys and it's the opposite to hardcore. So we didn't, you know, uh, this was his opportunity too. He's like, right, what about entrances? I'm like, let's go all the way. Um, <laughs> And so we got approval and I basically did a knockoff Rocky entrance. So I had like a, a crew of people with me that had flags um, uh, at, you know, uh, those sexually, uh, I don't even know what you call them these days, but we used to call them STDs. Um, so I think it was Rick that came up with, hey, Super Team Devlin. Um, <laughs> would be pretty funny if you could get 500 people to chant STD. And I'm like... <laughs> done um so we got you know flags and t-shirts printed up that said std on the back and everyone was chanting std which i thought was just i was like that's pretty awesome <laughs> um and uh Saigo fett um ended up getting at, th at that time we had dynamite dolls so he does this like four minute dance routine like he comes out with them dressed as a pimp and does this four minute dance routine so by the time the match starts we um we we we'd been out for twelve minutes. Like we hadn't even <laughs> hadn't even started yet. And I think by the time we were done, we we must have clocked up thirty five minutes, forty minutes <laughs> for this ridiculous um uh segment. Um, and it was kind of like the cooler match. So we were right before the um we were right before the uh main event. And uh, geez, we we must have pissed the guys off while they were just waiting to come out, and they were all getting all serious. And here we were, just you know, carrying on. Um, from there, that was you know, that was kind of the um, uh, the idea was that hey, cool, now you guys can you guys can form together, become a tag team. Like you're so over as individuals, you guys become a tag team in the hunt for um, tag titles. I can't remember who. I can't remember who thought of it or broached it, but it was probably Rick Sanders. Um, and I don't remember the actual moment, but but I think it would have been him that said, hey, what about joining the Brat Pack? 
um, which from my point of view, like I thought, I thought it was, I thought it was perfect. Like I wanted to make sure that that whole like comedy um, gimmick playboy, stuff, all that stuff, like I, I want to end that. I wanted to end that on a high. I wanted to end it at its, at its absolute most popular point, not once we got here and then it starts to kind of dip and then you do it like, um, yeah. So like I was super happy with it. Um, I think the event, I think the event might have been an evolution, but we basically did a storyline where we were heading up for the um, tag titles against the Brat Pack, and um, there were a couple of vignettes and bits and pieces, and uh, I got injured, and um, uh, you know made out like it was, you know made out that it was kind of them, but no one actually seen anything. Um, for one show, I got a legit cast put on my leg. Um, uh, one of my brother's mates was a, um, was a doctor and, um, can of beer and he came, <laughs> came in and just whacked a, whacked like a cast on and had a, a, like a legit cast on for the day and crutches and the whole deal, um, for a show to sell the build up to this match and going to be ready at the next show and coming for you and all that sort of stuff. Um, and yeah, we, um, uh, we built up to this tag match. Um, Ferg started the match, and I like I don't think a single person saw that coming in the building. Um, we built up this tag match. Um, you know, he he got smashed a little. Finally, tags me in. I take a big run up, turn on him, like you know, clothesline him out of his boots and uh, all the rest of it, and and I get given a, a brat pack shirt. And um, I, I remember you know afterwards going back watching the footage. The guys afterwards going, man, that was wild. Um, people were mad, um, which felt so good. It felt <laughs> so good. Like I, I go, I get recharged by that. When people like booing and throwing stuff at you, I'm like, oh, that's me. That's powering me up. Um, but uh, but yeah, I um, yeah, we did that. Um, and you know, it just, it just, it was, it was awesome. We. We remember watching it back the next day. And when we watched the footage back, the sound on the cameras like blew out and distorted of the reaction of, ah, like as soon as it happened, I'm like, that's pretty good. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and, you know, I just, I thought the most shocking thing, and I, I obviously had help from others, was like such an aggressive attitude and style change like polar opposites um, was what I was going for. Awesome. Well, the dedication to, 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 to the build up to that uh, and the feeling when you, when you got them and you got all of them. Yeah. That can't be anything better than that, especially when it's all of them and there's not one person. It's like, Oh, I could see that coming. Yeah. Love it, bro. That is amazing. Um, a lot of this stuff that I'm, I'm talking about, I didn't get to see a lot of the shows, just a, a couple here and there when my dad would take me. So I missed out on a bunch of this stuff, but I, I'm going to hopefully find some of the footage at some point. Um, one show I do remember being at was Reawakening number three. Uh, it's a four-way tag team elimination match. GST, The Serial Thrillers, Awesome Inc. and The Brat Pack. Uh, I remember watching this a few years ago on uh, Vimeo. Um, I think it was Vimeo. Um because I remember being in the building at the time that night um, and I, 
everyone out there, you don't realize how creative and head ahead of their time everyone in that match was. Because when I watched that match, some of the stuff that you guys all came up with, like as far as I'm concerned, was 15 years before it became almost the norm that you see on TV now and you see in the independent uh, circuit on Fight TV or, or what have you. Um, honestly, I just I, I just wanted to make that statement and see what you thought about that because honestly, I was like, this was so long ago, yet you guys were doing this stuff and now it's the norm. Yeah, appreciate that. Um, well, look, I think all of us in that match were influenced at that period by indies. So by that time, it was, you know, it was hard, but, you know, tape trading was a thing. So you'd, someone would get hold of the latest um, Ring of Honor show or like something like that um, or an, an indie show. And, you know, I mean, CM Punk was um, really breaking out at that time. And I know that Jamie uh, was a, was influenced massively by CM Punk. Um, but so there was a bit of that influence. And plus you just had, you know, you had a bunch of guys. So, I mean, you know, half of us, um, we're on that first training camp and kind of broke in, you know, all around the same time. And we're just trying to like prove a point um, and say, hey, like we want to push the envelope. Um, all of us, you know, had dreams and aspirations of being in main events and all that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, a an amalgamation of ideas. Um, I would assume the crazier um, bits and pieces would have probably come from Shane, Kyle, um, Bobby, um and the the smarter uh wrestling bits would have probably been dominated by someone like Brad. Um and I would have just been along for the ride. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, bro. Um but yeah, like honestly at that point in time I really felt like because uh, at that point I was going to quite a lot of shows in a row. The booking was so on point like like as the shows would be going on, the card for the next show is naturally being booked and 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 the crowd are finding out what's happening at the next show as the show's yeah. going on. Uh, it was almost like watching it on television somehow, um, just the way that things were building. Uh, but <clears throat> thing, there, there can be times where, where things in the company are hot and then an angle will end. Um, I remember when I interviewed Davis Storm, told us about how the company would be really hot as a particular angle is going on. And then when that angle hit its peak and end point, the crowds might go down in size because, you know, they were there for this story, the story's over and seeing things would have to somewhat reset. Uh, what are your thoughts on these kinds of fluctuations over the years and, and, and how the company dealt with it? Yeah, look, it's like, it's, it's the ever ongoing challenge. Um, you see it in all wrestling. Um, you know, it can be really flat, um, you know, the month after WrestleMania in mm. WWE. Um, they've, they're, they've, you know, they absolutely, that that Monday Night Raw afterwards is can't miss. Um, have turned that into something really special. But, you know, it can, it can be a tough slog after that when there's this culmination of everything. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I think, I think if anyone had the answer to that, um, they would be a multi-gazillionaire. <laughs> um and run the most you know successful wrestling promotion of all time um but you know that's i guess yeah that's the challenge of of wrestling and over the years um you know some of them i think we've got right some of them uh, we haven't the other the other tough thing is like when you have that 
to get that highest of high and that end of the finish and the storyline and the big payoff, like at some point you you have to like suffer lows. Like if you don't have those lows and disappointments, that high is not as high. And that's kind of, um, yeah, I, th- I think that's kind of how wrestling goes. EPW over the years have um, had periods of, you know, venue changes have sometimes been really difficult. Um, and I, I think nearly every single time it's not been EPW's decision. There's been some other set of circumstances that we've had to leave venues. Um, but um, over the years too, like there's been like booking changes. So like a new booking team committee or person will come on in to try and freshen it up because, you know, you're booking this thing and you, you get to the end of your big storyline and all that sort of stuff. Sometimes it's hard to reload or to to go, oh man, like what's an idea that's better than the best thing I've just done or the best thing we've ever done? Like, um, yeah, um, I, I guess, yeah, I guess it's it's an ongoing challenge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's cool, man. I, I knew that would be kind of a, a tough question because, um, uh, you know, it's... It, it's it's difficult um mm-hmm. you know i remember when the the solution story sorry to do a sidebar when the solution storyline kind of ended um i think reawakening 16 uh, uh i had been to every show and by the end of it I, I actually felt burned out on watching wrestling and i don't think i went to a, another show for for quite some time yeah um, but it's just the way that that things were for me at the time but um so probably like from I can... hearing the solutions music seven times <laughs> on one show <laughs> which is partly my fault <laughs> <laughs> well it is a good theme song but yeah you're right. um so um uh time's wearing on you during your time in epw you, you talked a little bit about the brat pack thing and how that was formed but um behind the scenes like when would you say that you started taking a bigger role behind the scenes in the company um so from fairly early on i was pretty hands-on and wanted to help um, with, you know, things like show setups. So, you know, show days are long, man. Like um, when you're involved um, from, you know, packing the truck at seven or eight in the morning uh, or taking the ring down at seven or, eight, or seven or eight in the morning and there were shows that you don't get home till, um, you know, six o'clock in the morning. I remember mm. back then there was, a, there was no such thing as 24 hours McDonald's. So we would, you know, get to our local Maccas at about 5.45 at the time all the rings put away and we're done a.m. Um, and wait for it to open at 6 o'clock to go and get some light breakfast. Um, and you couldn't get burgers. You had to get breakfast. They only served breakfast at that time. Um, so, like, I, I got pretty hands-on um, fairly early on, um, probably around that, around that brat pack time. I'd occasionally get asked for... Um, opinions on on storylines and ideas like just on the odd occasion I get asked hey what do you think of this what do you think of that and I would just give my my honest uh, opinion and when I had the opportunity I would like try and I would pitch stuff for myself um, and for other people I'd say hey you know saw this awesome thing or got this great idea Um, and I'd make deals Um, I remember saying to at the time David Storm was booker and this is like a, a few years down. And I remember saying to him, hey, if I don't have a shit match for 12 months, like I have 12 months, don't have a single shit match, can I win the Invitational Tournament? And he was like, yeah, sure. 
<laughs> He's like, of course you can. <laughs> like, as if. <laughs> um, and so, like, I was involved in uh, in some of those conversations. But, look, I think, I think really, really uh, hands-on, um, I was part of the booking team. Oh, I'm not sure what year. Uh, what year that was? Uh, I'm going to say around 2015 or 16. I became heavily involved in the booking team, um, and then at the at uh, around the time of COVID starting. What was that? Was that 2019? Yeah, yeah, toward the tail end. Uh... Yeah, um, I think. Yeah, it was then um, or maybe just before that I got approached and got asked to um, take a more serious role and join, um, you know, the top end of management to help the company, um, you know, operationally, um, uh, physically um, and, you know, from kind of like a, a behind the scenes and management and real business um, type of way. So that was, yeah, kind of my my evolution very cool. Um, and and speaking again back to to uh, you know when, when you're quite active because like when I looked at your your history, very active from 2003 until 2010. Um, uh, I want to ask you about the toll on your body uh, during this time period because I have a real distant memory of you telling me about how going to the physio and that your back was a mess and your knees were a mess. Uh, this is a very distant memory. They're very foggy. Um, uh, how was that toll on your body during this time period? Uh, it was brutal. Like um, I, because I felt like I couldn't um, athletically kind of keep up with um, or, or have that offer that, that so many of the other guys do, I kind of took a slightly different direction. So once I turned serious, um Dave David Storm at the time said, Hey, we don't really have a brawler. So the person who kind of fills that that spot is um uh, Evan Carnage at the time, and he's gonna be moving out of it. So no one else is doing it. You know, if you want to work on some of that stuff, it's your fault. Um, and you can have that space. So I was like, cool, you're a brawler, like chair like chairs and tables and thumbtacks and floor bumps and you know, all this kind of stuff and really silly at the time. You know, there wasn't such a thing as CTE back then. Um, and all of us were, you know, young and very naive, foolish. We, we didn't have any of the education behind us to go, mm, that's pretty dangerous. Or, hey, you could die <laughs> um, or get seriously injured. Um, so, you know, we were doing silly things, man. Like the chair shots over those years were just madness um if you go back i mean you you would just you would never do um and you won't see that stuff in epw um today because we now have this like enormous scientific history about how damaging um concussions are and um uh, you know we would wrestle through injuries and all that sort of stuff and uh because you know you didn't want to didn't want to lose your spot and didn't want to um kind of take a step back um, just want to go, 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 go while while we could. Um, but yeah, I was messed up, man. Like, um, I'm not sure what year it was, but we had a right den match. 
and every single person the right dead match was messed up. And we're like, okay, everyone's injured going in. And we're like, okay. And I remember at the time, uh, myself and Don were probably the most worst for wear. I think Richter was was real close as well. And we're like, okay, so there's six or eight of us, whatever it was in this match. We're all pretty knocked up. Like, you guys are the worst. Like, how do we structure this? And so they were like, okay, well, you know, um, the best thing to do is have myself and Don go out first, who were the most injured. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just... <laughs> just so silly um but yeah like yeah pretty messed up knees back um elbows um and you know right up until maybe maybe 12 12 months ago 18 months ago like had so much problems with it um and have managed to you know resolve nearly most of that over the last sort of 12 or 18 months oh well that's good to hear bro um but yes quite the toll on the body and you know, I think last time I saw it right, dead match, someone broke their collarbone. Uh, mm. I think Dan Steele got injured as well. It's just, <laughs> uh, it's an exciting match, but maybe, maybe it's uh, better on the back burner. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, like, I don't want to take up too much of your time at Devlin, but I've got, I've got a, a bunch of questions here still. Um, angles, personally, like, what angle during this time period, 03 to 2010, all the, you know, the, the real busy period yeah. here, What's the one that, you know, do you think you did your best work? Um, there's probably two. So the first one would be, and they're for different reasons. So the first one would be uh, uh, the Brat Pack, post-Brat Pack, um, having my first kind of real singles feud with Jamie, who was my tag team partner. So um, it was re- it was actually extended, I think, um, I think we, between our first and last match was maybe two years. Uh, we didn't wrestle every time in between and he had a bit of time off, but it was a, it was a year or two. Um, uh, and it, it kind of, I think the, the first, the first sort of like what felt was going to be the end was a last man standing match. And then the very end was a um, first blood match. But the last man standing match was, um, was awesome. Like to me, that was my first, we were kind of, I think we were kind of like semi-main and we had kind of the strings off. We had very little restrictions um, and everything that we asked for, they said, yep, yep, yep. You can do that. You can do that. You can do that. Um, And it came off the back of, we did, we did this angle where I handcuffed Jamie and this was at that Wanneroo place. Um, I handcuffed Jamie and, cut a promo while I handcuffed him. I was chopping him um, in his back and it, I must have chopped him 20, 20, 25 times, something like that, whilst I was cutting a promo. And I was asking people, I was like, you know, do all my things saying, um, stop booing me and you, you'll be quiet and listen to me. And every time they jeered, I would chop Jamie and go, you want to keep going? I'm going to take it out on him. So people were like wild. Um, um, and uh, it's one of the, one of the few shows that afterwards, like, I mean, I it, I got told to do it and it's no problems and all that sort of stuff, but afterwards it was like, we can't do that again. People left in disgust. Um, <laughs> and I was like, mm, well, <laughs> um, because like his back was bleeding, like legit by the end of it. Um, um, just from like getting chopped over and over in the same spot. Hor- horrible stuff. Um, I remember Roe McManus was at that show 
<laughs> and I get backstage. Um, he's still cuffed in the ring. I get backstage and I'm like holding my hand. And my hand is like like starting to swell and it kind of hurt as well for me because it was, you know, over and over and over. And he was the person that I first saw um, when I walked backstage. And he looks at me and he goes, you're a cunt. <laughs> <laughs> and I go, my hand. <laughs> Uh, brain story um yeah but (laughs) so like we had like really good heat behind us and people wanted to see jamie smash my face in um which is the whole point right like um i think that's sometimes a bit of a forgotten art these days where you know earlier on you would rely on uh, wanting to see the you know, that he'll get their comeuppance, their face smashed in, all that sort of stuff, as opposed to just wanting to see the baby face win. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there was that match. Um, I think we went for about 30 minutes and did all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, we got a bit of a standing ovation at the end, um, which felt really good. And we did this spot at the end. And as like we looked at each other and as people like started like cheering, clapping and all that, I think, I think I was, I think we were bleeding and all kinds of stuff. Um, looked at each other and I was like, oh, man, this is just magical because we then did that kind of handshake, probably looked like I was going to turn baby face, hug, all that sort of stuff, raise the hand, lots of clapping, kick to the guts, pile driver onto a chair um, <laughs> just to rub salt in the wounds, um, which, you know, um, you know, people went mental and straight after that was the first time um trying did the old pile driver off the apron through the commentary table and you know they did the whole thing with commentators like trying to like pull away saying stop stop refs all the rest of it we did it did it there was a big noise and then fucking dead silence like pin drop you could not hear like it was just absolute shock and i was like man this is Fucking unbelievable. Like, it was perfect um, at the time. And uh, he went off. I think he went off and did some traveling. So, you know, he was going to be off for a little while. Um, but reason why I love that, first big opportunity, went pretty good. And that helped kind of, like, launch me up the card and into, like, continuous storylines. And that was probably the very, like, genesis of me working my way up the card. Um, and, you know, the other... Probably my probably my what felt like my best work was um, a few years later in that period was I had basically then ascended up the card and um, I had a match a title match with Jimmy Payne at Date with Destiny in Maylands and right before that it was reawakening I won the Invitational tournament which I won by asking the Booker. If I didn't have a match for twelve months, and then I had to, and then I held him, held him to it. He was like, "Yep, that's fair." Um, so fair play to him. But the crazy thing for me on that event was, so I it was against Brock Freeman, who I had my very first match with all those years ago. Um, he was a big baby face, um, doing a bit of like this Japanese um, karate ish type gimmick, um, and I was a big heel during that match. Um, you know, I, I didn't get it, but I could, I, you know, I could hear cheers as the match went on louder, 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 louder. And the harder I went trying to work the crowd and be aggressive and just do mean things, 
the louder it got. And um, and I got backstage um, and went straight up to the booker and said, I am so, so sorry. Because I was like, oh, like I'd be mad at me. Like if <laughs> your one job was to like be a heel and draw a reaction. Um, and he was like, don't worry about it. It's totally cool. Like this is something that's really organic that you can't, you can't book like it's very hard to even book this type of thing. Um, and I was like, what do I do? The harder I go, the more cheers. Like if I don't do anything, I might lose interest. And uh, he said, just, um, just keep doing what you're doing. Don't worry about it. Um, and so, you know, he, they obviously then had plans to put me in a title match against um, the heel champ, which probably just sealed the deal as far as like baby face. So it was really interesting because, you know, I, I want to say that was like 2007, maybe 2008, not quite sure. Um, but it was the first time I'd walked out to the ring and heard like a full cheer, like a full cheer and people behind you and going nuts and wanting to see you win. And it was, <laughs> I just ran walking out going, oh, that is, but that is so that's so weird because I, I I hadn't really heard it, um, and I was like, oh, I was like, man, like, <laughs> seeing that maybe there was someone, someone behind me, um, and uh, I was like, and then I was like, oh, this feels really good. <laughs> this is what it feels like, you know. Um, but you know, you know, got into that title match. Uh, it's actually to this day one of my favorite matches of all time. Um, the match itself just. Um, it just felt really good. It was a really great atmosphere. Everything felt um, spot on. We did some um, innovative stuff in there that, you know, um, people hadn't seen before. And, and um, yeah, like those are, those are in that period, those are the two big ones that kind of stand out in my mind. Um, and that one kind of solidified me as I spent most of the year in the main event. Um, and, you know, from then on was was able to, kind of wrestle anywhere in the card. Like if I needed to open to help someone else, that's fine. If I needed to, you know, be in the mid card to to push someone else and help them get up to main event, great. Um, if I needed to pop into the main event to help and pop back down, like that's pretty much how, how the rest of it went from there. Right. Very cool. Gosh, there was so much to unpack from that, that story there because um, <clears throat> I thought it was really cool that um, – they, you know, the uh, guys in charge, the booker, did not go against the grain, but still just said, keep doing what you're doing. Because this, these days, WWE, someone's being a badass, they start getting popular with it, and then they want to turn them baby face in, have them, you know, panter to the crowd and crack jokes. Yeah. And then everyone's like, oh, they're so boring now. Well, it's because you look at stone cold like stone cold kept being an asshole he just had to be an asshole to people who are bigger assholes yeah you know you didn't make him you know to be this soft version of him so i like that i also like that well when you were talking about heat and it's kind of like a lost art and you know i'm going to admit something here which some people might consider embarrassing but i really like melrose place from the 90s like the original melrose place because that show was heat 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 the whole season yeah and when that asshole would finally get their comeuppance because it was just so like painful the whole time the feeling of them finally getting that comeuppance is like ah oh, 
yes like you get so excited and pumped up so yes i like melrose place and i think (laughs) wrestling should look at something like melrose place because and i don't want to go too much of a rant but it feels like sometimes wrestling fans these days just want everyone to just have a good match and everyone be friends at the end of the day and they get mad if uh, a heel actually goes over i don't know what's happened but Anyway, that was another thing I wanted to talk about. So I, I really Melrose Place. Uh, <laughs> I, I really enjoyed your thoughts on heat. Uh, I think yeah. it's something that's very uh, much missing, um, and everything's too squeaky clean. You know, baby powder up the the butt crack kind of pro wrestling. Um, I, I, I want to move forward to another thing here. Uh, working with Claudio Castagnoli along with Spike Steele and Damien Slater on November 24th, 2007 for NWA Pro Australian Tour, uh, uh, a show infamous for X-Pac, Brian Danielson, Carl Anderson also, and he's teaming with one who shall, shall not be named, but um, getting to work with the current Ring of Honor World Champion, Claudio, on that day. How was that? Yeah, like really, uh, really surreal um, when you think about it. Um, so, yeah, we we had a... We had a four way, and um, I um, I, I like when I see him on TV now. I'm like, how weird! Like, <laughs> like, I, like wrestle that guy. That's so. It's so strange. It doesn't seem doesn't seem real, but um, but you know, it it was an experience. Um, I truth be told, um, I was I wasn't a huge fan um of the guy. Um, sure he's sure he's a lovely guy. I didn't get to spend huge amount of time with him we we talked um the four of us talked for you know 15 minutes um before the match and he was obviously the um the most experienced guy so i was just on the just shut the fuck up and do what you're told like and be respectful and all that sort of stuff um so he kind of came up with the general premise of the match and um and all that sort of stuff um but you know the guy um, the guy, a really good mate of mine was the guy that, you know, put that whole show together, flew all these people out, you know, organized the whole, the whole two nights front of the money, um, huge expense for those two shows. Um, and I was just kind of a little bit mad. I thought, <laughs> I thought I was like, you know, he, I thought he was just lazy in the match, um, wow. controversial, but <laughs> you know, the match idea was basically, okay. The four of us, we're going to do this like kind of comedy spot at the start. I'm like, yep, cool. And, you know, I think it was a whole bunch of headlocks and things like that. Um, And it was, you guys throw me out. You guys wrestle for eight minutes or whatever. And then I'll come back in and win. And I was just (laughs) like, hmm. I was like, my mate has just spent thousands and thousands of dollars on you coming out. Um, And, uh, and I just, yeah, I just thought it was a pretty lazy effort. Um, you know, d- don't have heat with the guy, you know, or anything like that. Don't don't really know the guy. I haven't talked to him since. But, um, but yeah, my my thoughts were from that experience was disappointment. Bet wow. you didn't see that. Bet you didn't see that coming. I did not. Not at all. Yeah. Uh, it reminds me of a, a now defunct wrestling company uh, from Perth. They brought in Raven, uh, thousands of dollars spent. Raven shows up and says, uh, yeah, nah, so I'm not taking any bumps tonight. Um, mm. I'll just come in and uh, hit the DDT at the end and uh, that'll be it. I think that's uh, it's kind of hilarious, to be honest. Uh, in that case. Um, but anyway. Yeah, but I'll tell you what, that trip, the thing that stands out the most was um, uh, I got put on X-Pac duty <laughs> for, a per- for a period of time. 
And um, so I think it was after night one, um, uh, the guy who put the whole thing together came up to me and said, hey, can uh, you and Jag take uh, X-Pac and his partner and like go and get dinner or just get them out of here, get them back to their hotel and whatever they want to do, can you just go and sort them out? I said, yep, no worries at all. So, you know, we went to the iconic uh, Fast Eddie's, which <laughs> no longer exists in uh, Perth. Is that in Perth? Yeah, where it yeah. used to be kind of near the, the uh, RAC uh, arena. On Murray Street, yeah. There you go. Um, and I'm just sitting there <laughs> next to X Park, and, like, I was a massive – I was a Nitro guy. At the time, if I could choose Nitro or – or raw nitro 10 times over like um and so like a heap of my memories was obviously that and warmed up to wwe and saw all the dx stuff and i was like man i am sitting down having a conversation with xbox and he was just a like a normal dude um and we're having conversation about you know um some of his experience he was sharing some wild wild road stories that are just unrepeatable um <laughs> but i was like you know on the inside i was just trying not to mark out i was like don't mark out don't mark out like don't freak out don't you know so i was like i can't ask for a photo like just nothing just be cool and pretend like you don't care you know and i was like the poor guy he would just get it all day long um and right towards the end he was like um, you know, uh, Leona, thanks for sorting this out. Take it out. It was really good to meet you. Thanks for being so chill and just none of the bullshit and all that sort of stuff. You know, no worries. Um, and um, he was like, he, he said something like, he asked how old I was and I told him. And um, and uh, he made some reference to um, what he was doing at that age or something like that. And I... Um, I the last one of the last things I said was like oh man like I remember that I was in year eight or something like that and um he just goes now you fucked it you made me feel old he's <laughs> like you're going so well and you fucked it and I was like oh sorry man <laughs> <laughs> awesome awesome um Okay, uh, only a few questions left here, uh, okay. Kevin. Um, I'm sorry again. Uh, just uh, no we're problems. having such a good chat, so um, yeah, I'm enjoying it, man. Oh, good, bro. Um, sometimes I worry that I'm I'm taking up too much of uh, someone's time. Um, uh, so okay, you're in the, a group called the Blackest Hour. You feud with a group called Team All Star. We kind of you kind of alluded to that earlier. That there's a Riot Den match. From my research, after the Riot Den match. There's, there's a bit of a there's a bit of a gap of time. Uh, what was going on there? Uh, and and that will lead into my next question. So um, post right then, I was absolutely physically messed up. I mean, I was messed up beforehand, back, neck, knees, just I was just a mess. Um, and I absolutely needed some time off. I needed some time away mentally, physically, emotionally. Um, at that point, I thought that there's a possibility that that may be it and never again. Um, at least that's how I felt at the time. Um, kind of said that, you know, I, I think I'm done, but, you know, never kind of publicly, never publicly said that's it, I'm done or I'm retiring or having a retirement match, anything like that, because, you know, you look at wrestling and, you um, 
how many pe times people retire um, and come back and all the rest of it. And I just, you know, publicly, I just, I didn't want to be that guy. Um, and that old saying in wrestling is like, you know, the old never say never is so true because you just don't know. Um, so at that stage, I needed a break um, and um, was, you know, potentially thinking about retiring at the same time in kind of the real world, I was motoring up um, in a, in a massive uh, executive role for a national company, which required me to fly um, regularly to um, Queensland, um, Sydney, Melbourne, um, sometimes South Australia. Um, and I was looking after multiple teams and just in a high pressure environment. So like I needed to um, basically have as much focus as I could on that. And I couldn't do that, like limping and, coming in with a black eye and you know all that sort of stuff so so yeah that that's kind of where I was at um post that and I didn't tell I remember telling the guys in that match I didn't tell them beforehand because I didn't want them to like you know I didn't want them to like I didn't want to add any extra pressure or, or make them think it like oh if this is last we have to do no no we need to do exactly what was planned like it's already <laughs> everyone knows what they're doing um it's already a, a, a fairly kind of dangerous environment. We've got to be on our game and have no other extra, you know, be focused. Um, so, yeah, so like straight after that match, um, all of us kind of met backstage, had a bit of a huddle. Um, we were pretty happy with it and and pumped and kind of relieved, like the pressure of this kind of first time thing and it's a main event and, you know, you've got a bunch of like mixed guys in this main event and there's so many variables, the more people that there are. Um, and uh, yeah, so I told them backstage afterwards, I was like in that huddle, I was like, let's get a quick photo. Um, thank you so much. But like, I am taking a break um, from here um, or I'm done like that. That could be it. So I thanked them all um, and said like, if, if this is it, um pretty happy, like good way to go out in, you know, in the main event ma uh, match of the year. That's fine. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. That's where I was at at that kind of time. Right. Cool. I, I thought that might've been the case. Uh, um, <clears throat> uh, because after this, uh, from my research, you only wrestled 12 more matches. Um, so I, let me just pull this up. I forgot to get the date, but um, okay, so um, you do do a, a few things here and there, uh, but 2014 is when the Headhunters are put together, the tag team with yourself and Tyler Jacobs, aka FN Carnage. Um, did you know that the run with the Headhunters tag team with Tyler Jacobs would be your last stint? Uh, and how did you hold up during that run, you know, uh, after having this break? Yeah, so... Um... I didn't know at the time I was getting asked quite often for a, a, a short period of time um, by the booker at that time who said, Hey, um, I need you. Like, can you come back? Will you consider coming back? And I was like, I was like, I don't know. Like I'm starting to feel good again. I don't know <laughs> if like finished in a really good place. Like, oh, do you want to come back and just do shit? Like, you know, or, <laughs> or whatever like but you know my 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 kind of attitude was if you want me to come back and the reasoning is to help build someone or something then i'm in like if it's a, a better cause or to help other people um i mean i've always been 
uh, more so now I'm massive about kind of giving back. Wrestling and EPW has given me so much over such a long period of time. They've given me my close circle of friends. Um, some of them are closer than my family. Um, they've given me so many moments. They've helped me um, in my professional life. Like just it's madness what it's done. So I'm always about when I've got the opportunity to give back, like give, you know, give back what you can. Um and yeah, so so the booker said, "Hey, look, we you can tag with um, Carney again, FN Carnage, Tyler Jacobs." Um, he said, "We have massive problems with the tag division. Um, basically, it kind of that I think at that point it kind of like fallen apart. It was really hot for a while, and for a whole bunch of reasons of of people leaving, um, people kind of I think having a break, all that sort of stuff. They went from having a whole bunch of these teams to." next to nothing um so it, it was you know it, that was the that was the kind of directive to like you two um you, you know build and fix and get the tag division going again so i was like cool like want to do that i'm in um yeah so that's you know that's how that kind of started and how it actually ended um and uh, i i don't i don't know what kind of exactly what year and what the date was, was um, I was uh, asked to um, join the booking team. And um, what had actually happened was the booker came and said, righto, um, we're going to put, you know, we're going to get some new belts, we're going to put them on you guys, you know, you're going to go through this storyline and put over um, someone else. And we had some important at the time, it was McMassive and did a bunch of stuff with McMassive. And I was like, man, that'd be so awesome to, um to have them holding the belts and they were so over and all the rest of it um but i was like i was told we're winning the belts um and then asked to join the booking team and i was like i was like this is bullshit like i'm gonna join the booking team and then have be the champion i was like oh <laughs> like i was like that's gonna look so bad and like just and you know one of those things and I, I, you could never, I, I never said anything. I was just like, oh, well, it'll be what it'll be if people think what I think. But that was actually, um, once I joined the booking team, shortly after I got asked to take it over um, and be responsible for um, all of the booking. Um, and that was when I made the decision, can't wrestle and book. Oh. Um, I was like, I can't, I can't, can't do both. Like, that whole that booking stuff takes up a huge amount of time. You got to work with a lot of people, and I then wouldn't be able to put the effort into um, wrestling and the training. And I didn't want the conflict. I didn't want anyone turning around to me and saying like, "Oh yeah, you're in the main event, eh? Pretty great when you're the booker to be in the main event." Um, <laughs> so you know, it was a race. As soon as I got those belts, I was like. I want these fucking things off as quickly as possible. <laughs> like, get them off. Get them off. Like, <laughs> um, excellent, excellent. Yeah, so that's that's yeah that probably ne uh, led to that next that kind of next lull because from that period on, I was um, a part of the booking team. Right, awesome. Um, so I, I do have a couple more questions as it uh, pertains to behind the scenes stuff uh, and this kind of. Um, you know, mixes in well with you talking about how the tag team division at one stage was red hot. Next thing you got to rebuild it. Working behind the scenes, you build people up. You're getting people ready for like, you know, being ready for that main spot. 
like a guy like a Logan Gray, like a Scotty Ryan, um, uh, guys like this. But lives are unpredictable, right? You never know what's going to happen in someone's life from month to month where all of a sudden you've been building someone up and now they get a job offer to be flying here, there and everywhere. And now all of a sudden wrestling, that was a, quite a priority. Now it can't really be a priority and maybe they, they, they're done after spending so much time building people up. How frustrating is it uh, trying to build these people up only for these unpredictable things to happen over the years? Look, it's it's really challenging, um, but it comes with the territory. Um, it can be really frustrating and disappointing, but, you know, and it's funny because as a fan, and I think back to, you know, watching Nitro on a Friday night, you'd have this hot storyline and the person would disappear and they'd never be spoken of again. And I'd be like, what happened? Why is no one talking about this? And all those years later, you're like, oh, like there's all of these circumstances that happen and you just have to... Cut it off. Don't put a single second into it, and move somewhere else, or try and try and switch it around. Um, but for that period, it was it was our kind of joke. So there was a period of time um, for that first period, anyway. It was myself, Tyler Jacobs, and Brad West that were booking. Um, and I wanted a three man team so that if we ever disagreed, that you know, did kind of so it'd have to be a vote um, sort of thing. Um, but that period of of uh, the team the team slightly changed um, about a year or two afterwards. But that first period, we we laughed because not a single show that we booked over that year or two year period actually went forward and happened as we booked it in weeks or months previously. Not a single show. So like someone got injured, um, you know, someone got an interstate booking um like there was some other conflict um just not a single one um you know i think one or two came real real close um where we just had to swap someone out but that's that's the game um but yeah that that period was one of those kind of that booking period when you talked about scotty and logan and there's a handful of other guys um that was Gen Zero, the Dawn, that was part of all their ascent. Um, that was one of those refresh periods where where we got to the end of the past year. Um, I, uh, we ended up doing some surveys with fans about storylines and stuff at that time. And I got some, you know, common feedback and used that feedback to go, okay, like new people, like st let's start at the very end. And my sort of, my vision at the end was I wanted to see Gen Zero, four of them, um, end of reawakening, standing on each uh, turnbuckle, belts up in the air. And I was like, cool, that is an amazing reawakening moment. It might have even been two years down the track when we first talked about it. It was like, how do, how do we get there? Um, but my sort of, my style of booking, I'm I'm not, I'm not very creative um, to come up with kind of original ideas and... Um, I like, I like working on all the moments in wrestling. Um, that's what drew me to wrestling is, uh, when you think about, uh, wrestling for me anyway, it's these amazing moments. And, you know, when people, when people talk about wrestling from the eighties and stuff, they like talk about like the macho man wedding and, you know, Jake, the snake biting macho man. And like, they bring up all these things that aren't actually, um, you know, aren't, aren't actually wrestling. And in my mind, when you think about 
the vision of someone like Hulk Hogan. It's to me, it's him with his rip shirt, with his his bandana half in his mouth, and him like walking down the entrance. There's that famous footage that you see and everything. Like yeah. all of those things, I'm really I get really excited about. Um, uh, and that's the things that I really like to work on um, with booking and, you know, starting at the end and going, cool, how do we get there? I think that's a good way to go about it as well. Um, mm. Another one, booking-wise, how do you keep things interesting for guys who've pretty much accomplished everything and have pretty much worked with everybody, like a Marcus Pitt or a, a Damien Slater or a Davis Storm, like... How do you? I, I always think about Marcus Pitt because it's like he's won the heavyweight title five, six times. He's won the he's won everything. He's worked with all the top guys. Like, what do you what do you do to keep it interesting for guys like? Uh, well, look, I suppose everyone's got different ways, but for me, um, and for you know the, the the team as well, I uh, those guys. And it's funny you brought up Marcus Pitt because he was actually one of them that at the time was in that main event scene that I like, I had to have a conversation with him and go, you know, basically go, I'm sorry, pal, but you need to move aside. Like, and me thinking in my mind, like, geez, like, you know, how, 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 how would you take that? Like the guy I think is, you know, arguably the best all round wrestler that BW's ever seen. Um, he was killing it. He can baby face, heel, champ, believable, all this sort of stuff. Like, um, if he turned around and said to me, what have I done wrong? Yeah. <laughs> like, he'd, he'd done nothing wrong um, at all. Um, but the idea was to take a little bit of a step down, a little bit of a step aside, help us build some other guys, and then you can play with them. Like, and then it's fresh and new again, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'd have that conversation with him. I had, had to have a, that conversation with Slater and a bunch of other people. Um, and nobody was more professional and acted better than than uh, Marcus Pitt. He was like, absolutely get it, absolutely no problems. Um, you tell me what you need. And I was like, oh, like what a what a relief. And so we as a team took the tact of sort of saying, well, your 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 comments, you know, exactly of a guy that's done it all and won everything and like how like how do you find something? Um and I, I, I think the answer is, is if they're doing something that they really love and are really passionate about it, um, that will then generally be conveyed to people watching, which you get that. So you end up getting that result. So we went to him and said, hey, what do you want to do? Like, you name it. Um, it can't be in the main event and there's limits on some gimmicks, but you name it. What do you want to do? Um, and he was like, how about tagging with Slater and um, doing some tagging? Yeah, absolutely. No worries. Done. Um, and yeah, so like a, a lot of times with the more experienced guys, if you don't have something um, in stone planned or an idea booked, um, my go-to is saying like, what do you want to do? Um, because it's not always, it's not always what you think. You might think you're just going to hear, I want to win the belt. And then after that, I want to like win it twice. And then <laughs> I want to have an Ironman match. And then I want to have a cage match. Like you just think, oh, like we can't can't do everything all the time and just for you. Um, but yeah, so that's been my my kind of like MO over the time that I was um, uh, booking was was doing that. And 99% of the time got a really great response from people. Um, and what it ended up doing was like, 
there ended up being this like portion of the card that we didn't have to worry about. Like really experienced guy, know what they're doing. We explained the the, the bigger picture or the direction we kind of wanted to go and blah, blah, blah. Cool. Don't have to deal with that whatsoever. Um, show day would come. They might have a couple of questions. Um, come up straight afterwards. How was it? Brilliant. And it ex exceeded expectations every time and was probably better than what we could come up with. Fans dug it. Um, and, um, you know, um, like that's that's a win-win to me. Um, Excellent. Yeah. yeah, very cool. I'm, I just wanted to know because I just... Well, I, I think about myself, what would I do if I was in Marcus Pitt's situation? I'd be like, geez, I've done everything. I, I'd be bored, but at least, like, you know, he, he's, he's he come up with something and you've been able to figure that out. So that's really cool to hear. Yeah, about. man, the stuff, um, they've done, the stuff they've done in this last year is incredible. I don't know if you've seen anything, any of it, but it is. Stuff on YouTube, yeah. It's, it's amazing. And again, this is a guy who's done it all, um, multi-champ, years and years, and is has now, you know, having being able to have the same kind of carry the same stature can go in and out of main event but be so refreshing and interesting and entertaining like that's the that's the, the game to me excellent um okay so getting back to your in-ring stuff this is the final question about your time as an active pro wrestler in the ring 19th of june 2015 you and tyler defeat Liam Mandel and Ross Cage at the 57th EPW house show. Uh, did you know that that would be your final match? Uh, no. And I have no recollection of it either, unfortunately. <laughs> okay, no. I'm looking at Cage. Who was it? Uh, uh, me and Carney versus... Liam Mandel and Ross Cage. Wow, we, uh, well, there you go. Uh, but also um, uh, the, there was a match that you had against Liam at EPW Collision Course 2015 in a singles where you got the win on the 11th of April 2015. Yeah, I, I think, you know, after spending so many years just trying to get that big W against Liam, I finally got there and there was, you know, like you said, there's nothing left to prove after that one. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> yeah, it's... Whatever the match is, whatever the final one is, did you know at the time that would be the last one or was it just, do you, do you think you, you got one left of the tank? Oh, look, I'm open to it. I'll never say never. Um, I suppose it just depends. Like um, we we had a spot. It was it was a shame. We had a, a little bit of a nostalgia spot on not reawakening just gone, but the reawakening before. Um, uh, and... Uh, there, was, there was supposed to be a bit of a nostalgia spot on that show with me, with Rick, with Brad, um, uh, involved in the storyline. And during the match, um, it was, yeah, it was Marcus Pitt was supposed to be involved in something he was doing. Uh, got concussed and was oh. on another planet and walked backstage and we were like, all that, gone. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, like... Um, you know, there was supposed to be a little something going on there, but that unfortunately didn't go ahead. Um, I'll never say never. Um, I'm certainly open to it, but there's absolutely nothing planned or nothing on the table at the moment. Um, I'd certainly have to do a bit of training and all that sort of stuff if I was to entertain that or I'd want to make sure it's a tag match or just someone else can carry the thing. I'll just, I'll just come in, do a couple of chops and maybe a pile driver and, We'll call it a day. 
Very cool, Ray. Well, um, uh, Devlin Reeves, this has been so fun having the chance to talk to you. We still got that final segment on learning about your favorite things, but uh, I wrote this thing out because uh, I thought I was thinking about, and I didn't even know the answers to a lot of the questions prior. I mean, most of them, obviously, but I, I was I was getting a a kind of a thought process of you as a person, and 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 how you know I think you, you're a good person. You're humble. You're not about your ego. You're not about the adulation or the glory. When your time was up at different times, uh, you didn't have a big send off. You didn't even tell them prior to the match that it might be your last one. Um, you know, you're not even sure which was your last match. Uh, you kind of <laughs> snuck out the side door, hoping nobody would notice that you retired. Uh, but I noticed. Uh, I think <laughs> you're, you're an unsung hero in the local pro wrestling scene. Uh, you gave your body, your time, your focus. Uh, you immediately continued on helping out behind the scenes when you retired, and you even still were helping out behind the scenes before then. Uh, January 28th, 2023 marks 20 years since your debut match. Wow. You portrayed characters like the egotistical, arrogant Nancy boy, playboy Devlin Reeves. Hope, you know, maybe you wanted to see what that might be like, you know, being a, a vicious jerk of a hill in the headhunters, all the different horrible things that you did as a heel probably just wanted to say what that felt like because you're such a good person <laughs> so that's what i wanted to say i think i'm correct and i want to thank you for your time bro you're very welcome it was an absolute pleasure uh and uh yeah it was a, i had a great time um just wandering down the bits of memory lane that i can remember <laughs> which didn't include my last match apparently <laughs> excellent bro well, time to get this to this final segment here quick fire questions for quick fire answers Devlin Reeves the first one is who was your favorite pro wrestler of all time favorite is uh Hulk Hogan he uh was the one that got me into it um but you know the best of all time is Shawn Michaels Excellent, excellent choices. Uh, over the course of your time in pro wrestling, who would you say was your favourite opponent that you ever had? Oh, oh, there's. Oh, I couldn't just name one. There's a bunch of guys. I loved wrestling. I love wrestling. Richter. He was a big, big guy, and to me, big guy, small guy, easy, easy story to tell. He'd be one of them. Dave, uh, David Storm would be one of them. Um, he'd be one because you just didn't have to worry about anything. You'd figure it out out there and it would just be easy and no stress. Um, Jimmy Payne was one of them. Um, just, yeah, I'll leave it at that. I'm sure there's more. <laughs> of course. That's always a difficult one on this show. Yeah. Um, and another difficult one. Uh, is there one match, one match that you look back, that's your favorite one that you ever had? If someone said, hey, man, Throw on a match. I want to see what you used to do. What would be that match? I think it would be. I think it would be the date with destiny with Jimmy Payne title match. I think that to show someone that kind of has it all, um, that'd be my favorite match. One of my like absolute favorite moments though, would have been with uh, Brett Corvus, who was an authority figure at the time. Um, I think it was a reawakening. We had a reawakening and he uh, I think I had to wrestle Carney, uh, FN Carnage beforehand. Um, and if I won, I then got five minutes in the ring with him or whatever. And uh, there's a couple of moments in there where um, uh, just where you had the crowd in 
palm of our hands, everyone standing up, yelling, screaming uh, towards us. Um, uh, and that was a really, really awesome moment for me. Awesome. Okay, finally getting away from wrestling. Uh, do you have a favourite book? Oh, um, no, not really. <laughs> no, I'm not much of a... Like, I'm into boring stuff like business review and um, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I'm into boring things. No, skip the book. Okay, no problem. Uh, do you have a favourite TV show of all time? Uh, I've probably got a couple. I reckon The Shield. Have you ever seen that? I have, yes. Yeah, I thought that had the best uh, finish to any series that I've ever seen, ever. Um just 60 seconds of deafening silence um, at the very end. And uh, and to counteract that, I I love Curb. Curb oh, gets me, man. Oh, <laughs> Curb gets me every time. And I some of those things happen in my life. And I'm like <laughs> looking for a camera in case there's one there. And I hear the music in my head. <laughs> That's a good choice. I find Curb to be the perfect uh, show to put on if I'm having lunch or dinner. Um, yeah. Uh, do you have a favourite film of all time? Uh, too many. I'll give I'll give you a couple. I Terminator Two oh, yeah. would be right up there. Um, I think just I was too young when I seen it too, so like the not supposed to be watching this um, kind of uh, <laughs> feeling stuck with me. Thought that was amazing. Um, Bad Boys Two as well. That's probably. Yeah, they're probably two of my favourite movies of all time. Excellent. Uh, do you have a favourite musical artist or band? I have a super, super wide ranging taste in music, but I will tell you a few. I am, I'm a kid of the 80s, so I'm a big Bon Jovi guy. Um, and people give me shit about it and I don't give a fuck. Um, uh, I think vocally vocally or vocal talent wise i think john farnham is the best vocalist i've ever heard um one of my favorite albums would be in its entirety would be the tenacious d oh there you excellent go that's choices. some wide-ranging stuff right there excellent choices and for anyone i would besmirch the good devil and reeves over liking bon jovi right there okay i love bon jovi <laughs> Um, okay, uh, moving away from the arts now. Only five to go here, Devlin. Uh, favorite food? American barbecue. Uh, American barbecue for you know, um, like going out and stuff. Um, probably like day to day steak. Mm, excellent, good choice. Uh, do you have a favorite restaurant or a favorite place to eat on the road? My favorite place in Perth to eat, and I don't go there that often, is Nobu. Oh, cool. I've not been there yet. I really, oh, really man. want to. Um, I, I have been to uh, Rockpool, though. Yeah. Which is amazing. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, do you have a favourite alcoholic beverage? And if you don't drink, just a favourite beverage in general. My favourite beverage in general would be coffee. Um, I don't drink, but when I did, it was scotch. I was a big scotch and dry guy. Excellent. Uh, second last one is is the naughtiest or maybe the sexiest one of uh, the favorite things. Uh, well, I'm not going to get cancelled, am I? No, you're not. Because okay. this can get a, you can get a really uh, meaningful answer out of it too. Uh, is favorite female body part? You see a good looking lady, you know, where will your eyes go to first? First, 
Face. Is face a an answer? We've had face. Yeah. There you go. Face. Smile. Yep. Very good choices. We've we've had eyes. Eyes are mine. I I I pick eyes. Uh, yeah. Dom Dom Maraca, however, is an ass man. Just of course. Let you know that. Uh, the final one here. Uh, favorite curse word. See you next Tuesday. <laughs> Excellent, bro. There's nothing like it. Nothing gets the job done in the right, exactly. yeah, in the right circumstance. Hey, Rovit Manus did it in the right circumstance. So there you, there you go. go, right there. <laughs> well, that was really great to learn about those things, bro. And once again, want to thank you so much for your time being on the show here. I've had so much fun, and there was so much that I had to skim over because you've done so much. Again, twenty years. Just this past January, it was the, the anniversary of your first match. So, and you're still working there behind the scenes. So, uh, again, really appreciate your time, bro. And this was a fun uh, journey for me to, to go along with you this evening. Pleasure was mine, man. You're very welcome. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. You're welcome, bro. And thank all of you out there for joining me here on the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WCWA Network. I'm California. This is Devlin Reeves, and we will see you down the road. Thank you. Network, that's the way we blind get puppies. Don't play network, that's the way we blind get all of has been paid for by the WZWA network.